Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We're going to turn now to the teaching that I actually didn't prepare around uh, the memory of Marlise's mom, but uh, I think that the theme will, will very interestingly connect. Um, and this morning when I introduced the Torah reading, which obviously was not this Parsha, I, I caught myself bringing in to this week's Parsha, sorry, into last week's Parsha, that which I found interesting in, in this coming week's Parsha. So if you were there this morning, you'll also hear um, some some similarities in what I shared this morning uh, as an introduction to Parsha Pinchas. So if you have the source sheet in front of you, great. If not, it's mostly verses, and then we're going to look at a few um, a few commentaries, which I'll read out loud. But if you're in a Chumash and you don't have the sheet in front of you, it's Numbers 35, Bamidbar 35, um, chapter 35, verse 10. And we're going to be talking about these Arei Miklat, which you've probably heard of before. You might have even heard me teach about them before. Uh, I find them fascinating. So every year when we get to them, I find myself teaching about them in some way, shape, or form. But these Arei Miklat were these cities that were set up so that if someone had killed someone by accident, that they could go to these cities and find refuge. Now, we don't have anything like that in today's day um, in terms of believing that if someone were to be killed by accident, that they would have a place to go. Um, and so there's kind of two Two outcomes in those cases. Either a person lives with the guilt because they're not given, um, they're not given a, uh, a punishment per se, or they have some kind of punishment. Even though it was a mistake, there might be some punishment for their actions. Um, so it's a, it's a different, it's a different idea than this, than this, um, than this one with these Aray Miklat. So we're going to just read through the verses first, and then we'll look at some commentaries. But I would love to hear if you have any questions about these verses after we read through them. So again, if you're looking at the source sheet, it's the first page. And if you're not, we're in chapter 35, verse 10. So say to all of the Israelites, to Bnei Israel, when you cross the Jordan... Into the land of Canaan, Ovrim et Yarden, really, you cross through the Yarden is really what it's saying, towards Canaan, right? So, Artsa Canaan is, is directional. So, it's telling you that you're going to go towards the land of Canaan. Okay. And you will create for yourselves, you'll provide for yourselves these cities, Arei Miklat, cities of refuge or cities of safety that will be, and these will be for you, is, is the Hebrew here. Venas Shama Rotseach Maken Nefesh Bishgaga. Okay. Uh, to which a manslayer who has killed a person unintentionally may go. So just like I explained before, that if a person unintentionally kills somebody, now they have a place that they can go to. And these cities will be for you for refuge or for safety. 
I'm purposefully not using only one word for miklat because it can have it. It is typically seen as refuge, but when we use it in modern day Hebrew. It's a safe room, a safe place to go. Migoel velo yamut harotzeach ad amdo lifnei haida lemishpat. So that the person who did the killing by accident will not die unless he stood trial before an assembly, right? Before a group of people. So he goes to these cities and he doesn't die unless when he goes before a group of people, they decide that that's the punishment. But when he's in these cities, he's seen as safe and free. Okay, maybe not free, but safe. And there will be for you six cities of refuge of safety for you in, in, in all. There will be six of these. Um, so for the people of Israel, for the unknown person, for the stranger, and for the resident alien among you, uh, so I'm just going to read this whole sentence in, uh, in English. These six cities shall, shall serve B'nai Israel and the resident alien strangers among you for refuge so that anyone who kills a per- person unintentionally may flee there. Shogeg is unintentional. That's the word for unintentional that we're using here. Okay. Any question? I mean, I'm sure you have many questions, but questions that you would like to share or ask about these particular verses, verses 10 through 15. I guess I left out 14. I don't know why, but mostly 10 through 15. No questions. Yeah, Larry. <laughs> Tons of questions, but you left out 14 because it's a digression, because it actually tells, tells us that three of the cities will be in, in Canaan, which, become, oh. which becomes Israel, and then three will be on the other side of the Ardennes. And there's a real question, why do you have three cities for two and a half tribes and three cities for nine and a half tribes? Right, right. So. Thank you. Thank you for knowing why I might have left it out. I, I didn't remember that, but that makes sense. Any other questions about these Arei Miklat, about these cities of refuge or cities of safety? Yeah, Taibo. Um, sorry that I don't remember, but do all six become Levitical cities? Do all six become Levitical cities? If I understand the question, the answer is no. Um, can you expound upon what you mean by that? Well, because the 12 sons are not the 12 tribes. Right. The 12 tribes are two grandsons get put in and for Joseph, but then Levi gets pulled out and doesn't get tribal lands. They get, they get cities. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't remember if the cities of refuge and the cities for the Levites were the same thing, but Larry said, no. no, they're not the same thing that, that I know for sure. They're not the same thing, but, but to the first part of your question, I actually don't know, but they're not the same thing. That that's for sure. But I'll look into that. I I had never put those two things together, but they're um, yeah. Larry said no. Uh, trusting Larry. Yeah. <laughs> I 
I also say no, but uh, <laughs> but but you don't have to trust any of us. Uh, who knows, uh, Joanna? There's something, and I don't know, like, is it elsewhere in Torah or is it in this passage and we just haven't read enough, but that when the high priest dies, the people get to go, they they get to leave the city of refuge and go back to their regular life. Like, where does that come in? Wow, you guys are really stumping me. I I don't, Larry's nodding yes. I'm just going to go with, Larry's going to teach the class for today. Um, the... <laughs> <laughs> The, I mean, it makes sense, right? I don't, I don't know exactly what you're referring to, or at least I'm not remembering exactly what you're referring to. But it, it would make sense that similar to when we are under a type of leadership. Hi, Sean and Tom. Maybe Sean knows the answer. Um, that when you're under a certain type of leadership, that once something has ended under that reign, that then the law, or maybe not the law, but the um, enactment would release right would would lift and so that it makes sense it's possible that it comes later does rabbi sean know i'm just i'm just joining i'm just focusing rabbi? okay I remember, I later I, I remember a piece of it from talmud there's a section of talmud about how the mother of the high priest particularly one who had seven sons that were high priests gets all worked up that she's worried that people are going to pray for the death of her son because that's why the oh. what Joanna said that then um, there will be all these people, relatives praying because then their relatives could leave the cities. But I don't remember if that's something rabbinic or if it's Torah, okay. just that it was rabbinic. Well, there you go. At least now we have a source for it. Um Okay, thank goodness this is not the topic that I'm teaching on because then I'd be very unprepared. So what I want us to look at today is the fact that these Aremi clot, it's really unclear. It keeps saying it's for you or it's for them. What does that mean? Who's the you? Who's the them? Why do we need them? Right? I, as I started off by saying we, 2021 Jews, don't use them. So at what point are they not actually for us anymore? But who's the you? Who do these these cities need to be for? So if you turn the sheet over, and if you don't have the sheet, I'll just read it. Um, I'll read it out loud. Chizkuni says, they are to calm the fears of the person who killed unintentionally, who worries about becoming the victim of such relatives of the slain person. So very interesting that what the, what his Kuni seems to believe is that these Aremiklat are for the person who unintentionally killed someone, that we know, but not because of their action, but rather because of the family who has now lost somebody who was unintentionally killed, who might try to seek revenge on the person who did the killing, which obviously makes sense, right? That you would be in grief, that you would be angry, that you would try to find the person who did this to your family, and that you would then try to go after that person. So these Aremiklat are set up so that the person who unintentionally killed someone has safety, not from the authorities, so to speak, but from the family of the person who died. Yeah, Larry. As you know, I'm a fan of Chizkuni, but why do we need Chizkuni here to, uh, in this in this verse? Because we've already read that from verse 12, and the town shall be an asylum for you from the avenger, that's yeah. the Gorel, and the murderer will not die until he stands before the community for judgment. 
and it's explained by, by Alter, but also by others, that in fact this was part of the legal system, that it was the, it was the responsibility of the avenger in this case, um, if it had been an intentional murder, to take out the punishment and supposedly, according to Alter, this comes from the line from Bereshit, um, he who sheds human blood by humans, his blood shall be shed. Hmm. I don't know if that's what the, the what ends up being the, the, the legal mandate, but it appears that the legal system was, if you murder somebody, first your avenger from the family of the murder person kills that person. But if not, then there is a judgment by the community and if it's deemed to be capital punishment, then they carry out the uh, the, the crime. So it seems to me Chistuni hasn't really helped us here. He hasn't really added anything. So uh, the, what I... Okay, Joanna, first. There's a component in Arab culture where revenge can go on for generations, right? And families, if something happened to one family, let's, you know, envision this, you know, a killing that, you know, generations later, that dispute is remembered. And, you know, the, the, um, let's say the family of the killer, like, I've read accounts of like lives in fear two, three generations later, you know, over the possible revenge that the family might seek. So it's interesting in that concept to consider this, because this seems to want to put a stop to that kind of thing. Yes, I, that's, I, I agree that that's what, that's what Fizkuni's trying to do here, but also what the Aremi Clad are doing here, right? That they're trying to make it such that that revenge piece would not, the family wouldn't feel as though they have to take that upon themselves, but rather that it might be something that comes to the person from the authorities or from this Ada that comes together to, to give them their ruling based on, based on the crime. To go back to Larry for a moment, and I think it actually connects to what Joanna just said, I think that there is something that his Kuni is adding here in terms of bringing to us the family of the victim. We don't think when we're talking about these Aray Miklat, we don't think of the person who's been killed. We're just thinking about the person who did the killing, right? The Aray Miklat are set up for us so that if we unintentionally kill somebody, we have a place to go. But we're not thinking about how the family must feel of the person who's the victim of this killing. So I think that what Fiskuni is doing here is bringing in that other side. He's not telling us how to care for them, right? He doesn't go that far, but he does bring to our consciousness there's a there's another party involved here. It's not just the person who did the killing, it's also the family who's who's fallen victim to this person who's now going to have safety because these Aremi clot were set up for us. Was there a Fieldsmeyer hand? Was there a hand that I saw? Yeah, I I um I wasn't seeing the Kuni comment that way. Oh, um I was seeing it in and again um Larry might have already s- said something along these lines but if you but I was just looking at the verse chat verse 12 yeah. and it it seems to be saying that the the purpose is to keep the guy alive the the, the unintentional killer so that that person can have a, a, so that justice can be handled appropriately. 
but it seems like Kun is talking about his like the the killer's state of mind actually which isn't explicit in the text and and maybe this was said and I I just didn't No 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 it wasn't said and I I totally agree and I think that there's there uh, you're picking up on the the um I we write in English so the the calming of the fears right that that the person who did the killing can now feel as though they have a place to go where they will be taken care of and don't have to worry that the family is going to come after them or someone's going to come after right. them till then based on the action that they um that they did um so yeah, I I totally I totally agree with that, and I think that for the first time we are also aware that that fear is coming because it's not just again like the authorities or the, this Ada, you know, whoever it was back in those days, but that it also, as Joanna pointed out, it also was the the way of this the family on the other side to want to hurt the person. And again, maybe, maybe rightfully so. Um, but that now the person who did the killing can feel as though they have a place where they'll remain safe and not hunted um, for better or for worse, but they will, they will remain safe. Any other hands before we go to the next commentary? Okay. So the next commentary is, um, Shadal, and it's on the same verse, actually. It's, I'm going to read it in chunks. If you have this source sheet in front of you, you'll be able to see where I stop. And if not, just um, stay with me. So, just trying to see where I want to start here. Okay, I'll start with it. So before people were organized under a king or ministers or judges and officers, every family took revenge against other families. And the closest relative of the dead was responsible to avenge his death. So similar to what Joanna actually was bringing to us earlier. The Torah established judges and officers and transferred the responsibilities of avenging a killing from individuals to the community. Now, in a case of murder, it was possible to mollify the avenger by telling him to leave it to the judges to investigate and to execute the killer if found guilty of murder. However, when the killing was unintentional, it was impossible to mollify the avenger and oblige him to watch he who killed his father or brother remain unpunished. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Any questions about that or any comments? Okay. He and his acquaintances would interpret this, his inaction, to be proof that he does not love his father father or brother, since he does not avenge their death. Right? So that you might think, oh, if you're not going to go try to find this guy who hurt our family member, well, then you must not care about our family member very much, because shouldn't you be angry and shouldn't you want to go and get them? They did this terrible thing. Now, it was impossible to totally uproot this attitude that lack of vengeance implied lack of love. The divine wisdom knew that condemning the avenger to death when avenging an unintentional killing would not prevent all or even most of the avengers from avenging the death of their relatives. So what did the Torah do? It left the avenger the right to avenge the killing of his kin, but designated places of refuge 
where the unintentional killer could seek protection and in which the Avenger is unable to kill him. Okay. What, Larry, you're smiling. Do you have a thought on this? I do. I hate to dominate, but I, I mean, I really, I read this before. Just tell me first, who is Shadal? I knew you were going to ask that, and I didn't write it down, and I don't remember what Shadal stands for. Um, it might come to me, but I'm not remembering in this moment. Oh, Joanna knows. David Luzato. But what's the shin? I don't know. Let me think about that one. What's, what's, what's the time period? Italy, I forget exactly when. A very rough guess, 13, 1400s, but that's really rough, and I could be wrong on that. So, first of all, but as an aside, because I don't want to dwell on this, yeah, I think that what he's describing here in terms of letting the courts decide is kind of a later development, a, yeah. a Mishnaic and Talmudic development. Right. But I'm blown away by this, and I'm blown away because I'm thinking of contemporary issues, and I'm thinking about the way in which communities feel when someone is killed, and then there's this big question and debate about whether it was justified or not. And obviously I'm talking about police killings. And when it's determined that it was, quote, unintentional manslaughter, or not even manslaughter, but justifiable, that anger remains. And that's what this is describing here, right here. Mm -hmm. That anger remains. You can't assuage that anger by Mm -hmm. saying, but it was unintentional, and therefore it is not a capital case. And so he, Shadal, is recognizing or saying that the Torah is recognizing along the lines of what of, of um, what Joanna was talking about in terms of Arab culture, but not only that, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on Arab culture, that it's really hard for people to, I'll say, act dispassionately, not rationally, act dispassionately, even when they might favor the application of that very same principle if the situation were reversed. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's both deep, and um, as I said, it gives an insight into what's happening today in our own societies. Yeah. Marizan, did you want to say something? No, it's, it's on Shadal. Oh, great. I fa- yeah, I found out it's uh, Samuel David Losato. Ah, Samuel, thank you. I know yeah. he's a Yeah, was born 1800 and died 1865 in Italy. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, any any other comments before I respond to Larry? Okay. Um, yeah, I think that this is, to me, this piece, when I read this, I didn't actually connect it so much to what was going on today, though I think it's a very powerful read to be able to connect it to, to everything that we're seeing in today's, in today's world. I... I thought of it mostly around the fact that even if these Aremi clot exist, that experience of grief and that experience of anger and that guilt, right, that the person who unintentionally does the killing ends up living with is very deep. And that doesn't go away. And so I I wonder if what the Torah was trying to do in creating these Aremi clot is at least say, if we cannot get rid of those feelings, of those deep feelings, like what Ravishan was saying before, those deep feelings of this, you might be scared, you might worry, you might think that something terrible is going to happen to you for good reason, that we're going to create these Aremi Klat so that at least we can tell you they have a place to go. 
at least you don't have to worry about a place to go, that you might still live with that guilt and that anger and that fear for the rest of your life, whether you are the victim's family or the person who did the killing, but that at least we can provide you some place where you know that you will be, again, I'm using the word safe, though I'm not even sure that safe is the right, is the right term, but at least safe from the harm that could be caused by the family of the victim to you. Any other comments or thoughts before I, or questions before I close this out? No? Okay. Um, so what I wanted to leave you with, because there's so much more to say about these Are Miklat and much, much more to go into First of all, if you continue reading in the Parsha, but also just in general, commentators go on and on and on about what they were for and how they helped and who was in them and all the rest of it. And as we were hearing before, the Talmud also speaks to them. Um, and the the one piece that I started off talking about at the beginning of this teaching is that for me, the way that you can look at these different cities not just for the person who goes into them, but for the community that is dealing with the grief, is dealing with the death, is dealing with that anger. These are also somewhat safe cities, right? So just go with me for a second. If a person kills, God forbid, your uncle, and you are now enraged because it was unintentional, they're not gonna get the punishment that you believe in your heart they should receive, and they're gonna go into the this city of refuge where you cannot touch them. You then are also not going to do anything that would cause your family harm, because you're not gonna kill someone or you're not gonna hurt someone else. Yes, you're gonna live with the grief and you're gonna live with the anger, but these cities of refuge seem to be a safe haven, both for the person who caused the crime and also for the family who's grieving. And I think that that's a very interesting way of thinking about these cities of refuge because we focus so much on the, the people inside, but not how it's affecting the people on the outside who have dealt with whatever, whatever, whatever death in their family they're dealing with. So I know this was a little bit of a different route into these cities of refuge than, than at least I've ever taken before, but I was compelled by specifically Chizkuni and Shadal in bringing us to those areas of thinking through these cities of refuge. So I hope that you can think about them in this way. Again, you'll hear more about them, I'm sure, throughout the week um, because they are a very interesting part of this Parsha but to think about how they are cities of refuge, both on the inside and also for those on the outside. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.